There's a strong uh, dose of reality there in those words, aren't there, from the teacher. Um, But we're not going to stay there. We're going to start there. We're not going to stay there this morning. Uh, We're going to take in the whole counsel of God on this issue uh, before us. What does it look like uh, to be both young and old uh, living in light of the gospel? Uh, As I was approaching this topic this week, I was kind of thinking, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of... um, uh, it's, it's unlikely that what I have to say is going to be taken seriously by anybody being neither young nor old. Uh, if you're young, you're looking at me and thinking, what do you know? Uh, or what do you remember? More to the point, uh, surely, surely you were never young. Uh, I should have put the young filter on my face and proved it, you know. Um, and if you're older, you, yeah, you're kind of thinking, oh, one day, one day you'll get there, then you'll understand. Um, anyway, good, good news is I'm not uh, speaking from my own experience uh, this morning, rather speaking from God's word and what it has to uh, reveal to us uh, about life, um, life in God's world. So uh, let's, let's pray that we'd be able to listen well. Heavenly Father, uh, you've given us life and it is a sweet gift at times, um, but we also know uh, that uh, there are many hardships and uh, And in the end, uh, we must face the reality of our mortality as well. Uh, Father, we ask that you would help us be uh, wise and sober this morning about those realities, but also that we would hear all that your word has to say, uh, that we'll actually uh, be encouraged and emboldened uh, to live well in this life that you've given us, uh, knowing that it does have um, eternal Uh, consequences, the way we live, uh, and you hold out for us in your word uh, eternal life. We ask that you'll help us to grab it uh, for the life to come, uh, but also in a way that shapes the way we live now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is so easy, isn't it, to let your age define you. Uh, We spend our childhood wanting to be older. Do you remember those days? when you're just hanging out for your birthday and you're so excited about catching up to your older brother or sister or perhaps your peers at school or something uh, to be that one year older. So exciting. And then you reach a certain age, I don't know exactly where it is, but you spend most of your adulthood wishing that you were younger, you know, kind of hoping that that next birthday doesn't come and you get all coy about telling people how old you're turning this year and all that sort of stuff. Now, what do you reckon is the perfect age. If you could take a pill that would stop the ageing process in its tracks and you would be that age forever, what age would you choose, I wonder? I guess your answer to that question will depend a lot on what really matters to you. Uh, If you're someone who would love to be sort of free and energised and have lots of opportunities in front of you for the rest of your life, uh, then maybe you'd choose your 20s. You're someone uh, for whom work is really important and your career really matters a lot to you and kind of uh, reaching the heights of, of career, then maybe you'd choose your 40s or your 50s. If family uh, is what matters to you, then maybe you'd choose your 30s when the kids are young, the golden years, or maybe you'd be wiser and actually choose your 60s when you get to enjoy your grandkids instead, but you know, don't have to have the everyday responsibilities of children. You know, uh, when this question's been asked and studies have been done, particularly in countries like ours, wealthy Western countries, uh, 
Uh, the sort of averaged out or most common answer to this question, what is the best age, is actually 50. That's kind of where, where things land. It's actually a bit older for women, apparently, 53, and younger for men, 47. Uh, so if you're a man married to someone six years older than you, you everything's perfect. You'll you know, reach that, that golden age together. Um, I think it's because at, at around 50, perhaps you've got that the best mix of, of money and time and, uh, and still good, good enough health to enjoy those good gifts as well. The, the early years of raising kids, if you've had them uh, sort of beyond you, those years of heavy dependence, and they're starting to make their own way in the world perhaps, I think that's kind of what explains it. So if you're anywhere near my age, uh, enjoy it. Uh, it won't last. Um, and this is as good as it gets. Uh, well, today we get to see what God's word has to say about, well, really about the perfect age in a sense, what God's word has to say about being young and also about getting old. And uh, for our first perspective, we're going to go to that passage that was uh, read by Kent uh, from Ecclesiastes. Uh, but on the way there, I just want to remind you of a verse from Psalm 90. Uh, Psalm 90, where the psalmist, uh, it's the psalm of Moses, and Moses says, uh, teach me uh, to number my days, or teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And it seems that that's exactly what Solomon, who we take to be the author of Ecclesiastes, has been doing. He's been looking for wisdom. He's been looking to understand the nature of his days under the sun, the days of this life on this planet, and to try to understand what is it really all about. Uh, And that's what uh, we're going to learn from uh, in this passage. Now, uh, it has to be said that even though there are uh, certainly bleaker moments in this passage, there are also uh, some very positive ones, and uh, we're going to look at those first. It's not as if life is all bad, especially when you're young. So Ecclesiastes 11, 7, light is sweet. And it pleases the eye to see the sun. Now, for me personally, the sun's getting up just a little bit too early at the moment, and it would please my eye better if I could see it a little bit later. But still, it is nice, isn't it, to wake up to a sunny day and to think, ah, this is full of great prospects. Uh, It's great to see uh, what the sun achieves, the way that it uh, it grows the plants in the garden uh, and warms the earth and uh, gives us the desire to go for a swim in the ocean. It's, It's fun. Uh, to live in a climate like this. Uh, Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. But of course, it doesn't only please the the, the eyes to see the sun, but to see everything else that the sun illuminates for us. I mean, this world is full of good things, full of joys, full of pleasures. Uh, Verse 9 says, You who are young, be happy while you are young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes See, it's an encouragement to see how good God has made the world, uh, how he's preserved a lot of that goodness as well. Uh, The world is full of many delights and joys, people, places, things that he has given to us and filled our lives with for our enjoyment. And not only that, not only do we get to enjoy the good gifts that God has put into the world, but we can know the creator, we can know the one who gave the gifts And so in chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. 
It's a wonderful privilege to not only enjoy the stuff, but enjoy the one who gave us the stuff as well. But all this goodness, I think, is actually also what makes life in the end so tragic. See, because the reality is you've got to leave it all behind. The reality is that your delight, your ability to enjoy all those things is not going to last. That's the fact of the matter. Every beautiful image that the teacher presents in this passage is undermined, isn't it, very quickly by the inevitability of what comes next. And so, yes, while light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun, and however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. And yes, you who are young, be happy while you're young and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. See, the fact is that what's sweet today will be sour tomorrow. The light fades, the young grow old, body and spirit inevitably part and depart to their rightful homes and in the end all our deeds will be judged. So how should we cope with these starkly paired truths? Uh, The delight on the one hand and, and the despair on the other and so intertwined in a passage like this because they're so intertwined in life. How do we live this life in a way that actually makes sense to the reality of everything. At times, it seems that the teacher encourages an attitude of denial, almost. Just just enjoy. Try to forget, you know, the bad stuff. Just enjoy. Just just be happy, he says in verse 9. In verse 10, banish anxiety from your heart, if you can. Cast off the troubles of your body, if you're able. And denial is certainly a strategy that has its appeal, doesn't it? I think, on the whole, that tends to be how this world lives, how the people who live under the sun live. Push the thought of death to the edges of life. Don't give it any consideration. Just enjoy, just scrabble it all together. Just try to hold on to it as tightly as you can. Eke out as much as you can in the days that you have. But the teacher himself can't forget can't forget the reality of his coming demise. And he actually doesn't want us to either. He says, you need to remember, in verse 8, you need to remember the days of darkness. In verse 9, he says, you need to know that the way that you live will face the judgment of God. So in the end, the teacher, unable to resolve the tension, seems to just kind of throw up his hands and he resorts to his signature line, meaningless. You know, when I try to make sense of it all, I can't. I grasp, but it's like grasping at the wind. Meaningless. Another translation says vanity. It's just kind of all this passing thing that can't be held. And in the end, his conclusion, not just once, but three times, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is Meaningless. In the end, it's impossible to deny that death renders everything meaningless. And it does. But 
What if we didn't die? Or what if death wasn't the end? What if you could take that pill, but it wouldn't just kind of stop time, it would actually deliver you from death? What if that were possible? What if the very thing that renders life meaningless, death, could be remedied? What then? Well, if there is such a thing, that would be very good news, wouldn't it? And it wouldn't only be good news in the face of death, it would actually be really good news in the face of life too. It would, it would, it would take the meaningless, it would strip the meaninglessness out of life and it would turn everything that had been meaningless into something meaningful again because, because it would last. It wouldn't have a use-by date. It wouldn't necessarily reach its end. It would mean that we could move beyond denial or despair to live lives of pure delight and devotion and deliberate and diligent and meaningful work. Do you want your work to matter? If you do, then you want your work to last. Anyone who's ever built anything knows that. You don't want it to crumble the next day. You want it to last. At the end of that psalm that I mentioned earlier, Psalm 90, where he says, teach us to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom. At the end he says, establish the work of our hands, Lord. Make it last. Only you can make it last. Please make it last. Well, God has done something to make it last. See, It's in the good news of Jesus Christ. The meaning that the teacher was searching for but just couldn't grasp because it hadn't been revealed to him yet, because Jesus hadn't been born yet, because Jesus hadn't died on the cross and taken away the penalty of death for our sin and then risen to new life and offered that to us as well. That hadn't been revealed to the teacher, but it has been revealed to you. If it hadn't been revealed before today, it has now. See, in Jesus' resurrection, meaning is returned. Meaning is handed back to us because the thing that renders life meaningless is dealt with once and for all. That the psalmist's prayer for a lasting legacy is answered abundantly through Jesus' death-defeating resurrection. And so the counterpoint to Ecclesiastes, I think, is found in 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter on the resurrection of Jesus, that great reminder that all is not vain, all is not lost. In fact, the way that Paul finishes the chapter is that he says, you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It's the opposite to vanity, you see. Uh, Let's read some of 1 Corinthians uh, 15 together. Firstly, I think it's really important to see that Paul acknowledges what the teacher has discovered. In verse 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. See, futility, meaninglessness, if Christ has not been raised, then the teacher is right. But in verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And not only him, but he is the firstfruits of all those who have fallen asleep. That is, all those who have died with their trust in Jesus. Because here's how it works. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Each in turn, 
Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. See, it is the last enemy. It is a true enemy. It casts its shadow over every single creature that's ever born. But when the shadow of the cross comes, it eclipses the shadow of death. If you stand in the shadow of the cross, then death holds no power over you anymore. And that absolutely revolutionises the way that we can live our lives. The way that Paul concludes is he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Gone. Where is your sting? Gone. Because the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you might think, well, well, that's great, but I'm nowhere near death. Like, can't I, won't that be more exciting when I get near death? Like, maybe then it'll change things. But Paul says, no, no, it changes things now, no matter how old you are. No matter whether you're 15 or 50 or 85, it changes things now. Therefore, Paul says, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. You see, in past weeks, I've kind of addressed, okay, so, so you're young. Let's think about how the gospel addresses you. And I'm not looking at anyone in particular at the moment. And you're old. Uh, let's think about how the gospel addresses you. But really, in this instance, it makes no real difference because the difference between old and young is, in the light of eternity, at best half a breath. Isn't it? If, if life is a breath, then old and young, it's only half a breath's distant difference. The good news affects both of us, all of us, in the same way. The only difference is how many years are ahead of us and how many years are behind us in which we can labour for the Lord, in which we can do meaningful work for the Lord. And here's what it means to do meaningful work in the Lord. Put your trust in Jesus, receive eternal life and then get busy. Not with the things that people who just labour under the sun, S-U-N, chase after, but those who know the sun, S-O-N, and live under his rule, pursue. Invest your time and your talents and your treasure in meaningful and lasting gospel work. See, that's not just my job. It's your job too. It's the opportunity that every single one of us has been given. We've been given the words of eternal life, you see. And that means that we have the opportunity to impact other people's eternity, to change their eternal destiny, to to help them veer away, to steer away from death and to discover life. Isn't that the greatest possible investment you you could ever engage in? And why wouldn't you, you know? Why would you bother with things that ultimately are meaningless because time takes them all away? 
Paul's encouragement is in light of your future, in light of your eternal future, in light of all that you've been given and in light of what you know, in light of the gospel, give your life to a labour that will last, a labour that is not in vain. See, it turns out that the perfect age isn't 27 or 47 or 67. The perfect age is the age to come. That's what we're shooting for, all of us who have our trust in Jesus. And if that's you, then God has graciously given you a place in that perfect age. But don't forget, not only you, not only you, but also all who God calls through your meaningful labour in Christ. Let's pray that we would engage in that work together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for stripping the meaninglessness of life away. Father, help us to acknowledge all the ways that we're pursuing meaningless things, things that don't last. And Father, help us to see the opportunity that the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gift of faith in him has given to us to live truly meaningful lives. Father, give us a broad vision for this. Help us to see the opportunities. Help us to see people as you see them. People who are either on a trajectory to death and ruin or people who, through faith in your Son, can hop on a totally different trajectory uh, towards life and immortality. Father, The life you've given us here matters, and now we understand why. Please help us to live as if it does, as if the gospel is true, as if Jesus really did rise from the dead, as if we will rise with him, and as if eternity is our destiny. We pray in his name. Amen.